James's Saturday Show. Fantastic classics, artist interviews, and brand new music. James's Saturday Show on IndieLive.radio. So, who is this Marcus Mack character? Well, I had never heard of him until uh, a few days ago when uh, Marlene Ouija Pfeiffer, one of the ladies who presents our wonderful daytime show, sent me uh, an email that she'd received from one of their previous guests suggesting that he could possibly be interviewed on their program. But Marlene thought that it might be better suited to uh, going out on the Saturday show. So, to wit... I quickly uh, got in touch with him and uh, he sent me over some uh, links and some tracks and we had a wee listen and I have to say I do really enjoy this. So here we go, let's get him into the uh, the room. Good morning, Marcus. Morning. <laughs> How are you this morning? I'm fine. How are you? I'm grand, thank you very much for asking. Although it's pretty cold down here in Glasgow, so I imagine it's probably even colder where you are. You're a bit further north than me, I believe. Is that correct? No, I'm in Dublin Hill at the moment. Oh, are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought you were a bit further up the, the country um, than that. So how's it in Govan Hill then? Is it pretty cold? It looks quite sunny out the window, though we haven't ventured out. Well, listen, thank you very much for agreeing to to come on and have a chat with me this morning. It's the first time I have ever heard the expression, uh, Gildam's King of Pop. Uh, I had absolutely no idea, as I mentioned earlier in the show, that there was such a thing as Gaelic pop music. Can you tell me a wee bit more about it? Well, I don't know if you'd necessarily consider it to be a thing quite yet, but it's something that I am trying anyway. Although, I mean, if we look kind of back to the 80s, you know, I mean, Roderick themselves, known for bringing uh, Gallup music in, in, into contact with the, the contemporary at the time, and, you know, bands like the 101 band up in Lewis, and there was a Gallup punk band for a time in the the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. as well couple so it's not the first time that Gallup music has been brought towards the mainstream anyway but yes like you say not known for anything being ostensibly balls to the wall pop as it were yeah I think people tend to think of anything to do with Gallic music as being you know the more kind of traditional sort of stuff and of course there is bands like Tidelines and you know quite a few others who are within that kind of genre who are doing things that are a bit more kind of up to date if you like so how did you kind of come up with the concept of trying to introduce it to the sort of pop if you like I've been a member of a Gallic choirs since I was a student, and um, now I'm a member of Lothian Gallic Choir. Um, so singing traditional songs and, and the arrangements that are, you know, that are prescribed for us as the mod for the choirs, so part of my daily life, and I enjoy it very much. But obviously, being a Yorkshireman and having learned the language at university, I don't necessarily feel that it's my role to carry on the tradition. Mm-hmm. In some ways, it requires a bit of negotiation in that I am conscious that whilst I consider Gaelic to be an intrinsic part of my life, it's not my culture, it's not my tradition, you know? And perhaps I don't necessarily, not that I don't have permission, but it's not necessarily my place to, to promote myself as a tradition there. Mm-hmm. However, I am really steadfast in my commitment to Gaelic 
And I just love pop music, I always have. <laughs> My first album was Kylie Minogue, the eponymous debut album. Right. My first single was Corona Rhythm of the Night. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just the music that I love. Mm-hmm. And so... I just, I just wanted, wanted to take, take it into, into, a, into a new direction and then just have some fun with it, you know, yeah. without, without necessarily being reverential or referential to the tradition. Although you find that as soon as you do anything in Gaelic, that it comes back in naturally because it's just intrinsic to it. Yeah. How, how easy or difficult did you find learning Gaelic then? Because um, I've been trying to do it through, you know, the Duolingo app. Um, throughout the lockdown and I have to admit I'm not always the best that you know they say you know give it 10 minutes every day uh, and I'm not always the best that you know keeping to that kind of schedule if you know what I mean so as a a Yorkshireman as you said how kind of easy was it or was it easy for you? I mean, I, mean, I, I do, do hear, hear from other people, people that they consider Gaelic to be a really difficult language to learn, mm. mainly because grammatically it's quite archaic, it's got a case system, and also the front of the word changes as well as the end, as we yeah. used to with other modern languages. So, you know, it's not so much that it's hard, but it's just that it's, it's, it's completely different to other Indo-European languages, as the Celtic languages are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did Latin in school for GCSE. I was fortunate to get that opportunity, and I think so. The idea of the case of the known it wasn't foreign to me, and so um, I would say that that helped. It took me five years, perhaps, with I did my degree at Aberdeen University, to get a grasp of the grammar, and that was an intensive degree course. But my tutor. Dr. Murray Watson later published that as a progressive Gaelic, a series of books. So that course works because it worked on me. I can endorse that one. But yeah, I would say it took a couple of years after that while I was doing my postgraduate for it to finally click and for me to feel that I was fluent. Mm-hmm. I just needed to kind of all coalesce in my head. But I think with fluency, you know, nine-tenths of it is confidence. Yeah. And um, at the end of the day, when we're speaking a language, the most important thing is communication. Do you communicate what you want to say? Um, and can the other person understand it? Mm-hmm. If that's happening, then we're almost there. Um, and, and, and anything else we're doing on top is just kind of finessing. Yeah. So, again, being from Yorkshire, um, what kind of brought you to, to go to university in Aberdeen? Um, was it a conscious choice or was it just that the courses that you wanted were more uh, available there? There's a lot of factors, really. I mean, in terms of Scottish education, my mum read English at Dundee University in the 70s when it had, when it had become Dundee University. And she had a great time, um, and she was always remained very fond of Scotland. And then growing up, I mean, I'm from an Irish diaspora background. It's a big Irish community in, in York and Leeds, where I'm from. So, you know, this kind of, like, kind of Gaelic, not some, well, no real Irish language spoken in the family, but I did have a Celtic identity, you know, as part of that community. Um, and, and growing up, I definitely did feel more Irish than English, um, just because that, that was the community that I was part of, and my friends and people that went to my school and then in church and, and everything like that, that was the life I led. So I knew that I wanted to do either Irish or Scottish Gaelic, and my parents were big folkies. And took me to see Capacale, to see Clannard, to see mm-hmm. Runrig, 
to see um, all different Irish and Scottish bands at York Barbican. So that was all kind of part of my upbringing. And so we visited Aberdeen King's College on a beautiful sunny day when it was time to visit the unis. That was probably the only sunny day they had that year. And I just, I just thought it was beautiful. And the people in the departments that I met were really enthusiastic. I was like, yeah, this is the one for me. Yeah. And listen, Matt, I think Aberdeen University, the buildings uh, are just absolutely stunning. In fact, a lot of yeah. buildings in Aberdeen are absolutely stunning. So I can see how, you know, that would have been an attraction as well. Yeah. And the fact that you got a sunny day in Aberdeen um, to go and do <laughs> that is, is pretty good as well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think Aberdeen gets the bad rap a lot of the time. It kind of feels like it's pales in comparison to other places. But like you say, there is some beautiful architecture there. You know, Union Terrace Gardens are just gorgeous, mm. and the coastline is spectacular as well. So I was there seven years in the end, and I have a lot of happy memories. And I have to say that I think that the Gallic department up there is amazing, completely changed the direction of my life and, and, and enriched my life for the better. Good stuff. So this, this new uh, track that you, you're releasing... Monday Burns Night and um, tell me a little bit about it in the background I started having a little look at hip hop and kind of inspired by what the work that I saw Grigor Lowry doing with his Ghetto Croft project um, I think he's a fascinating creative and another person whose commitment to Gaelic is unsurpassed and I just you know the idea of the use of hip hop as an avenue for social justice and to communicate politics, but through a contemporary genre. I just found that fascinating. And, and like Gregor, I just thought, mm, is there an avenue here for the, for the Gaelic? So I wrote this, it was a poem originally, but it was kind of based on those kind of models. And, and I had it in the vault. I mean, what inspired it? Well, I mean, the situation towards Gaelic in the press and online has been ongoing. It's been been going on since the 60s and the 70s, you know, I mean, we, we tend to think that this is something brand new that started with the invention of Twitter. Uh, no, I mean, we've had anti-Gallic shots in the press since the days of Angus Hogg, you know? Yeah. So, uh, it, it was in file for a while, and I made a little demo of it at a studio here in Edinburgh, and then, and then, and then what happened was I was invited to do the Soccer G Showcase alongside Ainsley Hamill and Baltic Modelton for Joel's crack there at the CCA. And we were just developing new material on the idea of sustainability, and so I kind of returned to that demo and said to Patrick and Ainsley, what do you think of this? They were like, oh, yeah, go for it. I mean, they're used to me doing stuff a bit crazy, a bit wackadoo. I mean, I, they're, I mean, they're hugely innovative as well, you know, within the, what they do. Patrick can be inspired by classical music, and Ainsley brings in elements of jazz and blues to what she does. We were, I think that we were a really good match creatively, the three of us. Um, so it was the last, it was the last of the tracks that we that we, do, that we developed for that project, but it never made the cuts just because the the time wasn't on our side of it. So sent it off and uh, got it remixed by Rod Thomas, who is just an absolute hero of mine. Um, I absolutely love his music, and I was absolutely thrilled that he agreed to do it. Yeah, uh, we actually uh, we have a music committee of which I'm part uh, here at Indie Live Radio, and uh, one of the things that we we discovered was that we didn't have a lot of hip hop tracks 
available to us, whether they were going to be in, you know, English or Gaelic or whatever. Um, we just didn't have them. And I like hip hop, always have done. And I just thought, you know, I'm going to dig out, you know, much more of it and get it included into, you know, our playlists. Because I think it's uh, very much a social convention as it is, you know, a musical genre. It tells a story of a time whenever it happens to be, you know, getting done. And of course, when I was doing my uh, sound production courses, I did a a thesis on music um, through the ages, if you like. That's when I really got into, you know, learning more and more about hip hop and, you know, where it all started and how it all came about. And it was absolutely fascinating stuff, you know. And so it's just really encouraged me to, to look at it more. And I've got some friends who perform it and stuff like that. So one of them, sadly, no longer with us, um, a guy called oh. Boom, who passed away oh, yeah. um, recent. well, when I say recently, probably about a year and a half now. Um, mm-hmm. very suddenly and uh, it was a real shock you know when I heard about it but yeah. um, back, back to yourself um, you, you gave me a list of uh, artists that you know had some kind of effect on you or you enjoyed listening to we, we played Bright Light Bright Light earlier and also uh, Gweno um, uh, can you tell me a wee bit about these people that you've chosen and kind of why you've chosen them for a start with with Rod with Bright Light Bright Light, I just I absolutely love his music. I love his voice. I love that he incorporates you know nineties and eighties influences into what he does. And he's also you know a steadfast supporter of LGBTQ rights as I am myself. So you know I, I just find it, I just find that he's just been really influential on me. Um, and I've followed his career for, for, for years. With Gweno, I mean, all of the artists that I gave you in particular, a lot of them are doing something almost similar to me, but in their re- respective languages and cultures. So Gweno is another fascinating one. Um, a member of the Pipettes, you know, like a kind of, a bit like the Andrews sisters. But then um, Gweno is... A, linguistically in a fairly unique situation she was brought up in a bilingual welsh and cornish household her father is one of the most significant cornish language experts and that album that she uh, released last was an album of cornish pop music which was absolutely unprecedented at the time i, I had the honor of sharing the stage at the british library with my, myself her and the poet christine de lucas and the there and, and I, I just, I was spellbound with everything she said, just her easy manner, just how speaking these languages is completely normal to her. Nothing about it is controversial. It simply is just an additional avenue for her to explore her creativity. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of interesting as well, you know, you're talking about Cornish uh, and, and Welsh there, because there is a lot of similarities between, you know, if you like, the Celtic languages. Um, so, uh-huh. you know, Irish, Scots, Gaelic, Welsh, Cornish. But they're all languages that, to a certain extent, have been persecuted over mm-hmm. the years and seem to be making a comeback more recently. Uh, do you yeah. think that's because possibly younger people are tuning into, you know, their history, if you like, um, both uh-huh. linguistically and artistically? 
I think a lot of things are coming together. I think that, you know, there's impetus in the in the academic field in that we are now starting to look at the history of these islands through a post-colonial lens and to understand what happened to these people in the context of what went on to happen in, you know, the Americas in Africa. Yeah. Um, almost as if Scotland, Ireland, Wales were the British state's first experiment. And, you know, the rise in education as well, the Welsh have been fantastically successful in embedding the Welsh language within the education system. And along with the Basques, you know, these are the models that a lot of us are copying or at least modifying to fit our own needs, Ireland in the Isle of Man with the Manx language in Scotland as well. I think, and obviously in the media as well, you know, up here in particular, BBC Oliver, you know, building on the fantastic legacy of Rachel and Gale, really helps to connect listeners and speakers in disparate communities throughout the country and internationally as well. You know, we can't forget that we've got a Gaelic speaking population in Canada too. Yeah. So I think it's the kind of a few things coming together at the right time. What I would like to see within the independence movement, and this has been a problem with All Under One Banner, the new voices thing that came out recently with the, uh, with the event that they had, is that Gaelic and Scots are not on the agenda currently for the nation that we are in the process of building right now. And at the end of the day, if an organisation like All Under One Banner wants to use the name Oliver in its Twitter handle, mm -hmm. then it needs to pull its finger right out of its ass and put Gallic on the table. <laughs> right. Um, Sorry, out of its tongue. <laughs> no, no, listen, hey, you, you say it as it is, and that's the important thing. It's interesting that you mentioned Scots there as well, because... Um, I'm actually in the process of reading a series of books that have been written in Scots and um, the first one uh, in the series when I started to read it it took me a while to get into it a lot of the words I kind of recognised you know because where I come from the sort of central belt that was the language that was spoken you know many mm -hmm. years ago in these parts um, so there were a lot of it that I was starting to recognise it's much easier reading it now because I've got my head around you know how it should be getting pronounced and you know when I'm reading it and stuff like that and obviously up in the northeast, uh, up Aberdeenshire you've got the Doric language you know so th there are quite a few languages in Scotland that perhaps need to be uh, revived yeah, I, I'm, well, I don't know if, if necessarily you would consider that Scots and all its dialects need to be revived. I mean, the last census showed that there is no root health in comparison to the Gaelic, at least, you know? Like, the number of Scots speakers absolutely drowned out the number of Gaelic speakers. I think with Scots, what we need to see happening and what we're beginning to see happening is a cohesive language movement. You know, I think that the, in, in some ways the regional identities and the different dialect identities in some ways hinders that because yes. these identities are so strong and in, and in so doing it kind of breaks down the capacity to bring everybody together which has never been a problem for Gaelic because it's a Celtic language so it's completely separate to Scots and English and you know whether a, a, somebody from Lewis can understand somebody from Isla with relative ease or not, they both agree that it's the same language. 
I mean, I, I am a fierce supporter of Scots. I, I look at the situation in Northern Ireland, for example, where I see the Irish language community and the Scots language community, and they kind of both trying to invalidate each other. I think that's an absolutely ridiculous situation. Um, Scots and Gaelic here in Scotland, for the most part, we support each other, yeah. you know, and we have to. And I am sometimes approached, say, events of my Scots speakers and say, all this for Gaelic, what about Scots? And I'm afraid my response is, why aren't you using the models that Gaelic activism has been using to get us there? Because you have our support, but don't turn around and be mean-spirited. Just borrow the models and get on with it. Yeah, I think um, I can't remember who it was that said it, but I remember reading a quote somewhere um, that uh, said something along the lines of like language is an organic process, and it should always be evolving. To a certain extent, I think that's you know that is true. But I do remember um, when I was a wee lad going to school, you would get your uh, knuckles wrapped, shall we say, uh, saying it politely if you didn't speak you know the proper Queen's English. And I've always been very much against that. I don't know if it's because of how I was treated at school or whatever, I don't know. Um, but, you know, it just became, you know, something that you were not supposed to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and that, that was, was my experience in, in Yorkshire when speaking our dialects as well. You know, yeah. I remember a teacher, I turned around and said that one of my friends had nicked something off me, and she went, Nicked? What does Nick mean? When she can find well with the facetious man. It's an experience that a lot of people share, and it's an ex- extremely diminishing experience. Yeah. But I think for people to turn around and say, oh, well, this is just what organically, what naturally happens, it's survival of the fittest. It's not. It's the result of legislation being put in place, particularly in education, where English, as per Westminster, was named as the language of education, and all the rest could get. You know? It's in the fact that we do not recognise the nine natively spoken languages in these islands Mm -hmm. as being official, and that English is de facto official language of the law. Apart from in Wales, where they do recognise what's yeah. official. Yeah. It's, it's all of these things. These things are planned. They are not accidents. They are colonialist structures. Now, uh, we've kind of wandered off track a wee bit <laughs> going on. That's the, all the right. That's thing. No, that, that's, that's what I like about when I'm doing the interviews, you know, that we start off somewhere, we go off down another wee road, and then we kind of steer back towards it. So, steering back towards the music, how do you see um, yourself progressing, thinking in terms of the fact that, you know, we're still in the middle of the pandemic, we're still locked down, you're not able to yeah. do uh, live performances. How do yeah. you plan to kind of like move forward? I think in general, I'm in, in terms of this pop music project, I'm more of a recording artist than a performance artist anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, it's not it's not likely that I would turn up and do a full gig of mm-hmm. this pop music stuff. Um, if, if I'm to, if, if I'm, I'm to perform, it would usually be say on the Kelly circuit or with yeah, the choir, you know, know, where I do the traditional stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, although I mean, hey, get in touch with me, I'd be up for it. Um, should the time come, I've been toying with a wee idea, um, and it was kind of taking root before the whole 
pandemic thing started last year um, that at some point in the future um, I would like to if it's possible do like a little mini festival um, yeah. and include as many people who have been featured um, through my show on Indie Live Radio as possible you know uh, being given a wee platform to perform um, you know, in front of an audience. Um, so mm. people like yourself who might not normally do that kind of thing um, mm. as a solo artist would possibly get the opportunity to do so going that, forward. That's amazing. And I, I love a grassroots initiative like that right up my alley. Great stuff. Um, so we're almost out of time, unfortunately. Um, I'm going to play, after we finish speaking, I'm going to play your, your new track that's coming out on Burns Night um, so that's going to be done and then through the rest of the show I'll play the rest of the artists that you um, sent me the list of Just uh, Ellen Fleur, I couldn't find the one that you'd requested um, ah, right. I really struggled to find that but I, I hope I've chosen a suitable deputy it's uh, a title uh, now I hope I get this right uh, is it Eliad Fach? Oh, right, yeah, another Welsh banger, that's great, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I chose that one, so as I said, I was hoping that that was going to be a a, a good one as a substitute. Listen, thank you very much, Marcus, for taking the time to speak to me. Um, We will put this up on our Indie Live Radio's YouTube channel, and what I'd like to do is, if either of the tracks of yours that are played today, if they're not tied up with any kind of recording contracts I'd like to include them into that YouTube channel as well would that be okay? Yeah that's that's fine yeah Yeah, I think think that should be grand grand, yeah. Brilliant because we did our first one with a a guy called Malcolm McWatt um, it got loaded up and I've been told there's been quite a lot of downloads of it so it seems to be quite popular so hopefully it'll be a way of pushing yourself uh, forward as well Thank you very much. I really appreciate your support and thank you for having me today. No problem. Listen, more power to your elbow. You keep doing what you're doing and uh, I'm sure we'll maybe get a chance to chat again. Yeah. All right. Cheers. Cheers, Marcus. Thanks now. Bye. 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 So there we go. That was me in conversation there with Marcus. Very, very interesting conversation, I have to say. Um, it did go down routes that I wasn't quite expecting it to go down. Um, but there you go. That's the whole point, you know, with uh, when I'm doing these. I like things to kind of move along and just develop um, how they are going. Uh, Marcus's track comes out on Monday, which, of course, is the uh, birthday of our very own Rabbi Burns, Bruden. Okay, so how do you get in touch with me here at the Saturday Show? Well, it's very, very simple. You can tweet me at JE Saturday Show or at Indie Live Radio. You can send me a message to our page on Facebook, Indie Live Radio. Why not join us on the Discord chat live during the show? Go to the website, indielive.radio, and sign up to the Discord chat channel. You can text the show, 07849 162250 that's 07849162250 you can email me at the show and if you are a musical artist singer band etc you email james.saturdayshow at gmail.com with a sample of your music and uh, we can arrange to have it played on air for you we have our own facebook page and uh, any 
interviews, a new artist that I will be featuring, will be posted up on there as well. And if you have any music and you're not signed up to a record label, we can post that up on our Facebook channel also. Indie Life Radio. 